facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to Wednesday on The Kale Clark Show. It's not just any old Wednesday, it is Ash Wednesday. So welcome to Lent and welcome to the program. You can call in to our listener line on The Kale Clark Show, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. The number is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Email the program, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can also follow me on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Lots to get to today. I, I want to share with you by far, by far, the best thing I read about Ash Wednesday this year. And it wasn't even written this year, but I, I stumbled across this on on X, actually, on the app that used to be called Twitter, and whew, just kind of blew me away. And, and really what it boils down to is the good news of the gospel that you're getting today on Ash Wednesday, as those ashes are spread across your forehead. Maybe it's in the form of a cross if you're lucky, <laughs> depending on the smudge factor. The good news today is the good news that you're not good enough. The good news that you're not good enough. And this is a very countercultural message because to hear that you're not measuring up is not necessarily what most people want to hear. Or do they? Or do they? And I, I thought there's such a contrast with, with this view and, and that of, and I, I'm just, by the way, I, I'm just now getting caught up on all the great Super Bowl ads that I missed out on on Sunday. Spent most of Sunday at the hospital, my father-in-law. By the way, he's out of the hospital now, so thank you very much for all of your prayers. Uh, he had a heart attack at Mass on Sunday. He is now back home, thanks be to God. And so uh, his treatment will continue, but uh, um, yeah, I'm so grateful for that. And, and so I, I did eventually watch the game, but another factor for me is that living in Canada, I don't know if people know this in America, but this is one of my great frustrations. They, The Canadian broadcast networks uh, overdub the Super Bowl commercials with Canadian commercials because of broadcast regulations. There has to be so much CanCon. There has to be so much Canadian content. They don't show all the Super Bowl commercials. Uh, and actually, so they ha- there was one very funny commercial that they did show where a couple of Canadian comedians acted out. They kind of mimed the funny Super Bowl commercials for people. That was that was pretty well done. But I didn't actually see the real ones until just like today. I started watching them. I happened to catch a couple of clips because there was one I wanted to get to tonight, which you probably saw, and it's the one called He Gets Us. He Gets Us. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, quote-unquote, gets us. And they did this last year, too. They they were um, they paid for ads at the Super Bowl last year, $7 million a pop. They did it again this year. Um, apparently Kanye West did, too. I, I didn't see this. Apparently he filmed it on his smartphone. They were just like totally low budget, but he paid $7 million bucks for this. Whatever he said, I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, but the He Gets Us ad, and I just saw this, and, and it was sort of said, there's really no way to play this on the radio because it's all imagery, and it's Christians washing the feet of other people and people that they might, in normal, I don't know how to say this, but... They might not normally be hanging out with, and the backdrop, the backing track that was played for this was by NXS, called "Never Tear Us Apart." You remember that song? 
Two worlds collided, and they would never tear us apart. Okay, that was awful. That was like a lounge version of that on the Vegas Strip, and the Super Bowl was in Vegas this year, so somewhat appropriate, but not really. Anyways, uh, please forgive me for that. It's the season of repentance, and uh, I repent of my karaoke. But I, I wonder what you guys thought of that ad, because it was extremely controversial, and Producer Jim, you sent me a little piece from the Babylon Bee, that lovely satire site that always has funny takes. And I was trying to read that, but it, my, my, my phone kind of crashed when you, when you sent this. And what was their take, essentially, Jim? Basically, uh, the, the gist of the Babylon Bee's perspective was something that actually kind of ran across my mind. But, you know, I think the intention is good that we want to promote the love of Christ. <clears throat> and he does know where we're coming from, but the gist from the Babylon Bee is that we don't have to change. He just gets us. Mm. So we can go on our merry way to hell, but that's okay. He still gets us, which obviously isn't the case. You know, Babylon Bee is satirical, but uh, I think their point was well taken and it was humorous, but uh, as it always is, Seth Dillon and crew, they're, they're always really funny. And, and, and he, he, I mean, it's, it's half right. That's what I would say. They they got it half right. Yes. Um, he gets us, and then there were some other lines that they were sort of like they, that would come up uh, across the screen. Um, Jesus didn't teach hate, of course not. He taught us to love our enemies, even. But and he does uh, obviously he he loves all people with an undying love, but he loves us so much he doesn't want us to stay that way, <laughs> the way that we are. And we all have things to work on for sure. But I wonder what you guys thought about that ad. If you're listening today, triple eight nine one four. Nine one four nine. But I thought it was a very interesting counterpoint to this article that I found, uh, and it was in Catholic World Report, and it was written by David Paul Devil. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right, uh, so apologize, apologize to Doctor David Paul Devil, uh, D E A V E L. He's an associate professor of theology at the University of Saint Thomas in Houston, Texas, a senior contributor at the Imaginative the Imaginative Conservative. And he actually uh, co-wrote or edited a, a collection uh, called Solzhenitsyn and the American Culture, The Russian Soul in the West. Interesting. I haven't read that. But um, this this article that he wrote, um, and this was actually from a few years ago, but it, it popped up again on Twitter because, of course, it's Ash Wednesday. It's about Ash Wednesday. And the, and the title of the piece was, Tell Me I'm Not Good Enough, an Ash Wednesday Request. And so he, he says the people who are looking for ashes on Ash Wednesday are actually looking for the bad news of the gospel. They're not just looking for the good news of the gospel. They're looking for the bad news of the gospel. And he recounts a, a conversation that he had with this woman. who It's not a real name, but a woman that he's calling Janet. She was raised Catholic, um, kind of got off track, got into the Lutheran movement at some point, And now she considers herself nothing, quote unquote. She's one of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, and that's the fastest growing religious group in America, or I guess you could say the lack of religious group, the nuns, because they, they don't sort of identify as any particular um, religious group or, or point of view. So this, this person, Janet, said to the author of this piece, uh, David Paul Devil, she said that she missed ritual. She missed the touch of God in her life, wanted this for her family as well, husband and children. And he was trying to tell her, well, you should come back to the Catholic Church. And she said, well, 
actually the only group that I really feel comfortable with is the local organic foods co-op, the local organics foods co-op. And he was thinking, okay, all right, well, probably because they are quote unquote open and they make her feel quote unquote accepted. She loves hanging out with the organic foods co-op people, but that wasn't the reason. That wasn't the reason why she liked hanging out with the organics co-op. It's because she said, they know I'm not good enough. That's why I feel comfortable with them. They know I'm not good enough. And that was really uh, quite a shock to this guy when she said that. So we we're always hearing, of course, in the culture that we don't want to hurt people's self-esteem. We, we always want to build them up. Uh, never say that, the, that they're not measuring up. But this is really intriguing. She felt a, a sort of discontent with herself. And it wasn't because necessarily she was suffering from low self-esteem or, or maybe she was imbalanced at some level, her brain chemistry, or come from a, came from a dysfunctional background. Not at all. This organic foods co-op group, they accepted her, but they said to her, hey, listen, you're welcome to be in the group. We love having you in the group. We want you to be in this group, but guess what? You have an unhealthy lifestyle and you need to change. You need to throw away the Doritos and start eating actual vegetables <laughs> or whatever the case might be. But they said, you need to change. You need to change. And that, that kind of like, that disturbed her, but in a way it attracted her. And, and this is exactly what this author says preachers should be doing on Ash Wednesday. What's, and it, he also makes a really good point. I agree with him here. He says, quote, Ash Wednesday would probably be the most popular holy day of obligation if it were actually a holy day of obligation, end of quote. I agree with that 100%. I don't know what it was like if you've already been to the Ash, Ash Wednesday Mass at your particular local parish, if you're Catholic listening today, if you've gone today, maybe you're going tonight after the show, but was it packed? I can tell you that the parish where I went, 8 o'clock in the morning, it was more packed than Christmas. It was more packed than last Easter. I mean, the parking lot was jammed. All of the local neighborhood streets were jammed with cars. I had to park about a mile and a half away and then hoof it, which is fine. Get my steps in. Anyway, I was happy to see that. I'm always happy to see that because people do come out. Non-Catholics come out sometimes. People who are lapsed Catholics come out. And for some reason, even though they're not obliged to be there, they they always want to get their ashes. And the same is kind of true with Palm Sunday as well. It's kind of ironic because the ashes are made from, from burning the palms from Palm Sunday the previous year. And everyone wants their quote-unquote arts and crafts Sunday. They want to come and get their palms. And, and they don't even care necessarily about Easter. But the same can – and I know that sounds super judgmental. I know a lot of people, they're not like that. But some people don't see the obligation masses as being an actual obligation. However, they, they do feel drawn to this. They do feel drawn to Ash Wednesday. And the question is, why are they coming? Especially if they don't normally show up at Mass, if they never darken the door of a church. Why do they come on Ash Wednesday? Well, according to David Paul Devil, he says that they're coming for the bad news of the gospel. And I'm going to just quote him here because he says this so well. He says, quote, The ashes and the words of imposition are their own stark sermon. They grab us by the jowl, just as we sometimes do to children. I'm not suggesting you do this. It's just who will not look at us because they're afraid of what we might say from dust. You were made to dust. You shall return. We have what Walker Percy called the Thanatos syndrome. 
a strange taste for death and destruction with a corresponding insensibility to the God who is life itself. This taste, this taste for death and destruction and its corresponding tastelessness, we call sin. We are dying. The task of the ask of the the task of the Ash Wednesday preacher is twofold. Number one, repeat out loud the diagnosis written in ash on my forehead. And number two, ask the corresponding question. Are you willing to undergo the treatment that you started at your baptism? Now, this treatment program that we kind of all enroll in, whether we like it or not, when we were baptized. So this guy is basically saying it's never it's never failed to grab me and just really apprehend me and just, just shock me into reality. And so he says this, with too often I've been told the divine discontent that I feel is really just a minor head cold. You're good enough. Don't feel like you have to give something up as a Christian. Keep doing what you're doing. Maybe just add a little something to your routine. You'll be fine without much trouble, end of quote. Shivering and feeling my insides rotting away, I am advised to take two aspirin and come to Mass on Sunday once in a while, that is, if it's not too much trouble. Is it any wonder many people who intuit clearly the message of the ashen thumb, I like that, the message of the ashen thumb, then they skip the Mass part and return to the use of the home remedies so readily available elsewhere. Endless meetings, sports, Sex, video games, financial planning, booze, movies, the inanities of Twitter and Facebook arguments, gossip about others' own strain of this syndrome. Some of the remedies are healthy in small doses and in the right circumstances, but the end result of our home treatments is that we waste away more, even as we comfort ourselves, that we're doing something and that we're good enough. End of quote. What do you guys think of this? Triple eight nine one four. Nine one four nine. So he says, here's what he wants to hear from bishops, priests, and deacons who do preach on Ash Wednesday. Like this woman, Janet, who's involved in the Organic Foods Co-op, he wants to hear the truth. Tell me the truth. Unvarnished. Tell me I have to cast off every encumbrance weighing me down, especially sin which so easily entangles, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Cast it off. Whatever leech, sinful or good, we have superstitiously kept on us must be abandoned. Tell me to strengthen my weak hands and my my tottering knees. As it says in Hebrews 12, 12, God himself will hold on to you the whole time. Tell me that my own resistance in the struggle against sin has not yet gone as far as bloodshed. Hebrews 12, 4. Yeah, so that's a great point. Whatever we've done to fight against sin in our lives, and, and, and Lent is one of the ways we do that with prayer, fasting, and almsgiving in particular to fight against our selfish tendencies. Whatever we've had to do to try to get better and fight against sin, it, it probably hasn't involved shedding our blood yet for the faith, as it does for our brothers and sisters around the world. It might one day. We think about what's going on in Nigeria to the church there, priests being kidnapped, and in other places as well. He says, we have to be ready for the divine surgeon's knife. Tell me the divine surgeon tested the therapy on himself and stands ready. And when I'm ready, he will fill me with a blood transplant taken from his own side. Tell me I'm not good enough. Tell me I'm dying. Tell me the treatment is disturbing. It's drastic. 
It will take up all of my time. Tell me I'll have to give up lots of things I like and take up lots of other things I hate. Tell me it's worth it. Tell me I need Jesus in the worst possible way. End of quote. So what what a great little short piece. We'll put a link to this in the show notes from David Paul Devil from the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. So is that what people are coming for on Ash Wednesday, the bad news of the gospel? It's a dose of reality, and they somehow know that this is the truth. This is the truth. We're in a bad way. We're all in a bad way, and we need help. Your phone call is coming up, 888-914-9149. Stay on the line if you're there, 888-914-9149. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Listener line, call in. You know, Phil Collins and Genesis there, the invisible touch. And really, this is where we kind of turn more to the invisible world in this season of Lent. People are getting more serious about the spiritual realm. And I wonder what you guys think. We were talking earlier before the break about a great great sort of opinion piece by Dr. David Paul Devil. Tell me I'm not good enough. I, I want the unvarnished truth on Ash Wednesday, that I'm not measuring up, that I am a sinner, that I need help, I need treatment. It's going to cost me everything. It's going to take up all of my time. Just lay it out for me. Are we hearing that message? And and that is um, that is a message that's needed because it is very, very real. Let's go to the phones right now, 888 Nine one four nine. Let's go to Katie in Portland, Maine. Hi, Katie. Hi there. Always great to hear wanted, from the great state of Maine. By the way, love Maine. It's, thanks. It's great up here, and it's cold today. No surprise. <laughs> wow. I wanted to share my kids' perspective on the "He Gets Us" commercials from the Super Bowl. On the commercial, okay. Yeah. So. They were watching with us for part of it before it got too late. And it's two elementary school girls that we have. And that commercial, the washing of the feet commercial, actually gave them Mm. pause. They got really engaged because the images came up first of the washing of the feet. And Mm. they started to put the pieces together. These are people who are not really used to, you know, liking each other or loving each other. And Mm -hmm. so as parents, we were able to say, who else washed feet? who else told us to love one another? And they said, Jesus. And then of course the tagline for the commercial came up and it it, it prompted some conversation with us. So from a, you know, an elementary school perspective, they really liked it amongst sort of the chaos and and all of the color and everything else of the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's interesting that 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 commercial really grabbed them. And I've heard from a lot of people, even people that normally I would say wouldn't like an ad like that, that they actually were fine with it because they they, they said this is going to actually engage people maybe that wouldn't normally be talking about Christianity or wouldn't normally be open to it. I don't know. That, that's that's it's an intriguing question. So, but for your girls, it got them talking, and I think getting the conversation going that's that's well worth it for sure. You know, did the ad go far enough? Is it hitting the right notes? I mean, obviously, any thirty second explanation of anything about the faith is never going to be enough. It's never, no matter what angle you're trying to hit it from. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's, you, you can't even read a tweet in 30 seconds 
or a post as it's now known on, on X. But yeah, so, but n- nonetheless, it, it certainly has sparked a lot of conversation on both sides, people loving it, criticizing it. And, and Katie, thank you so much for calling in from Maine and sharing the insight from your kids on it. Absolutely. Love your show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, Katie. God bless you in beautiful Maine, in Portland, Maine. And uh, speaking of New England, uh, the other Super Bowl commercial I, I saw that I thought was hilarious was the Dung Kings, the Dunkin' Donuts Kings. Ben Affleck, of course, Matt Damon, his partner in crime, and Tom Brady. Tom Brady showed up, and uh, the, <laughs> that was brilliant marketing right there, folks. Of course, uh, not only did uh, – but I saw the four-minute extended version of the commercial – I think I think the thirty second is way tighter. It's way tighter. Uh, J Lo's in it too. Some great lines. How do you like them donuts? Sorry, I had to say that by Matt by Matt Damon. Um, great line. And apparently these these crazy jumpsuits they were wearing in the ad, they actually did release them for people to buy. They were like sixty bucks each for the top or the bottom, and they're all sold out. Anyways, just Google the Dun Kings. You'll 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 see what I'm talking about. That was a good one, but I, I'm way behind on my on my Super Bowl ads for sure. And um, but but yeah, the He Gets Us ad is um, one that's been done before. They did it last year. The family that owns the Hobby Lobby Christian family, I believe it's the Green family. They they're one of the anonymous groups that are some uh, some wealthy donors did pay for those ads to be to be put on. And people debate whether that's a, a good use of funds, whether there's a better way to do it. Um, if you really want to be like Jesus, spend the money on the poor. That's what some people would say. Is it an either or scenario? Is it an either or scenario? Um, good question. That's, that's a very good question. Triple eight, nine, one, four, nine, one, four, nine. All right. Well, I, I obviously in Lent, we, we want to talk a little bit about self-control as well. And if you're on the line, we'll get your call in, in, in just a second. I did want to share this with you yesterday, but again, we kind of ran out of time. So I did want to share with you the top 10 Bible verses about self-control. Obviously, on the other program I host on Relevant Radio, The Faith Explained, we do focus on the scriptures a lot. But here are 10 verses, your top 10 verses, if you will, that you can note about self-control. The first one I want to give you is from Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. It says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's, uh, that's not a good scenario. <laughs> um, self-control, what's that all about? Well, obviously, it's controlling the passions that we have, which are God-given, but they have to be directed rightly in accord with God's laws, God's will, our appetites, our natural appetites for food, um, relations, if you will, um, to be directed in marriage. And, and just even our will, we have to have control of our will. We have to control, have control over our tongue. That's very difficult to do if you read the letter of James. And James is the reading, of course, these days at Mass. James says no one can tame the tongue. It's like a, a raging fire out of control. If you can control the tongue, you can control your entire body because it's it's very difficult to do. So we have to control our tongue, what we say. And the lack of self-control is really what this proverb is saying, is that it's the mark of a fool. It's totally foolish. It's a city without walls. It's liable to be broken into. Um, I was, uh, just a long story, but I I was speaking to um, a police officer yesterday, and this person was telling me that so far in the city where I live this year, um, 
there have been over 600,000 vehicle thefts right out of driveways. It's becoming a complete epidemic. Um, they're just being stolen, shipped overseas. It's a huge racket. Um, last year, Mitch Marner from the Toronto Maple Leafs actually got carjacked himself. And I don't think they realized it was him, but uh, it's happening like crazy. And it's, it's so just people are leaving. It just boggles my mind that people leave their cars unlocked. That That only helps. A city without walls, a door without a lock. And so we, we need to have that self-control so that the enemy, the devil, can't get into our lives and, and work his his woe. A second one um, in terms of top 10 verses for self-control is from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 5. And this is a good one. We all know this one. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires crucified the flesh now in some translations it's crucified the sinful nature that's that's an important distinction to make because your body your physical body is not evil Uh, a lot of catholics today unfortunately still sort of have this mindset that the body is evil only the spirit is good this is actually a heresy it's a false teaching it's an ancient heresy called gnosticism it's a docetic worldview Um, the physical world is evil only the spiritual is good no god created all of it and he said it was very good so it's more probably better translated the sinful nature and this is the concupiscence it's the part of us that still kind of wants to wallow in the mud even after baptism and so the Spirit helps us to fight against these sinful tendencies. And that's one of the things we want to do during Lent. Let the Spirit have more of a, a free hand and, and free reign. Just give control over to the Spirit. So this idea that joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, it, Paul says against th- such things, there is no law. There's no limit. You can have as much of it as you want. You can indulge even during Lent in these fruits of the Spirit and go overboard because uh, this is what we need. So let's uh, let's look at one more here. This is a uh, First Peter chapter four verse seven. This is the third verse I would say top ten verses on self control. First Peter four seven. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self controlled and sober minded, for the sake of your prayers. And this doesn't necessarily mean that Peter was thinking that the end of the world was nigh. Uh, he he might have been thinking that. Uh, early Christians probably thought it was going to happen at some point very soon. Uh, they, they might be shocked to think that 2,000 years later, we're still waiting for that ultimate return of Christ as judge. And Peter, even one of his letters, talks about how with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. So don't the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. So always be, be sure of that. But what he's really saying at the end of all things is at hand, that we're now living in the last times. We're now living in the last days, which began with the resurrection of Jesus we are living in that final age of the resurrection. And he's inaugurated it. When's he going to fulfill it? That 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 is something that only God knows. And, and we just have to be ready for it. Number four. This is Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48. This is a passage that's been tragically misinterpreted in many ways. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out 
it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So tragically, some people have read Jesus' words here literally. I heard of a case where a young man who, this was some years ago, he had a, an addiction to pornography. He, he actually did gouge out one of his eyeballs. Now, God does not want you to do that. What he's really saying is you have to be absolutely radical in cutting out sin, the sources of sin. And of course, images of the hand, the foot, and the eye, it's, he's basically just talking about sins that can be committed with, with these parts of our body, right? St. Paul says in another place in Romans, don't use the, the parts of your body as weapons of sin. Use them as weapons of righteousness. I like that. Weapons for righteousness. So the hand could represent theft, murder. The foot, you're going to a bad place where you're going to commit a sinful act. Don't let your feet take you to bad places. The eye, obviously, covetousness, lust, all that stuff. Jesus says it starts, though, ultimately in the heart. Because even, even if you could, it's not possible. Even if you did cut your hands off if you're a thief, that's not going to stop you from, from coveting and wanting to steal stuff because that begins in the heart. And Jesus talked about that. In Mark chapter 7, all sin stems from the human heart. Let's look at one more. We'll do the top five and we'll come back, take your phone calls and do some more. The fifth verse, the top five verses on self-control in the Bible. We need this during Lent. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is really comforting. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So you always have a choice. You always have an option. And the only real evil in the world at the end of the day is sin. We can suffer a lot of reversals in our life, the loss of a job, the loss of a spouse, the loss of our health the loss of a friendship, um, any number of things can happen to us. But at the end of the day, there's still remedy for all those things. But sin is something we absolutely have to get rid of. God can bring good out of any circumstance. Omnia in bonum, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love God. But but sin is the, is the true evil. That's the only real evil that if we give into it, that's going to hurt us and keep us out of heaven. So we, we have to avoid that. But Paul's comforting here. No temptation has overtaken you. That's not common to everybody else. It's, there are no new temptations. And that's, that's kind of good news. And he's also not going to be letting you tempted beyond your ability. So if you feel like it's a, it's a tough fight, what the enemy means as a temptation, God's using as a test. It's strengthening you. So that's, uh, God doesn't send the temptation, but he does make use of it to strengthen you. And sometimes we fall, and this is good for humility. If we never fell, we'd, we'd be terribly prideful, and that would be even worse. So uh, take advantage of confession as well. Let's go to the phones, 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Let's go to Jen in Wisconsin. Hi, Jen. Hi, Kale. Thanks for having me on the show. You got it. Um, my, um, and my statement is on the commercial. Okay, you want to talk about the He Gets Us commercial? Yeah, okay, sure. I do. I'm 56. I watched it. And, of course, I'm a devout Catholic. I'm seeing all of the good things at the beginning, the references to Jesus, um, knowing what that is before they actually say it. 
But toward the end, I'm seeing more images of rainbows and that type of thing, and I'm wondering if it's not going toward how the church is becoming divided, more diverse. So I wasn't quite sure on my take, and I never did mm-hmm. rewatch it. Today at work, we have a 36-year-old woman who's got young kids, doesn't belong to any faith community. She actually watched it, knew it was Hobby Lobby, Googled it to mm-hmm. see what the meaning was. So she brought that up. And then we also have a 23-year-old who has no faith background at all. Um, and she was listening and kind of gathering. So their intent of having that conversation happened. Hmm. And I was able to put my thought process into it as an older person with someone who knows what the true meaning of all of that is, mm-hmm. the rainbows and and that type of thing, that it's God. And I just thought that was very interesting. So now I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it based on your, your, uh, yeah, it's, and your- it's on YouTube and like, like, a, like it's, it's at best half of the story. Uh, we have to, we do have to reach out to everybody, obviously, uh, even people that um, God loves every single person and every single person deserves to hear the message of the gospel in all its clarity. But the, the truth is that, yes, Jesus loves everyone. And when we come to him, we come just as we are, as, as Billy Graham used to say, <laughs> just as I am. But he doesn't want to leave us that way. And, and this this whole concept of repentance, and this is what Ash Wednesday is all about. This is what's said to us when the ashes are put on our forehead. Repent and believe in the gospel. Don't just continue on your married on your merry way and add a little sprinkling of Jesus on top. We we need to repent. We need to pull a 180 and stop sinning. That that is the message that people need to hear. We don't hear a lot about sin anymore. Obviously with notable exceptions, there are plenty of fine preachers out there that do uh, talk about it. And this is what makes salvation we need to be conscious of what we're being saved from and in our series on the letter to the Romans, uh, St. Paul does a masterful job of that. If you read Romans 1 and 2, it's just, wow, it, it could have been written yesterday. He, he talks about just the, the, the just, he just kind of goes through a breviary of sin, if you will, and it's not the way it's supposed to be. What a mess. You know, what a mess. But what a God. And then the second part of it, of the letter, is, is all about the gospel and what God does to, to pull us out of this mess. And so, yeah, that's, and, and I know, again, like their, their intent is to just get the conversation going and reach people on the margins. And, and that, that's what they were trying to do. They weren't trying to give the whole message. And, uh, but certainly I would think that most of the funding from, for that commercial came from evangelical groups um, who do hold to scripture, uh, the veracity of the word of God, um, some of the moral issues, they certainly wouldn't be in agreement with uh, those who would uh, take it lightly, but they just made a choice. They wanted to start with that uh, instead of starting with. Uh, anyway, so you can, you'll have to be the judge. Did, did it work? Is it enough just to get the conversation going? Would it be better to do nothing than to, to, to have a, a half-baked message or, or, a, or half-truth at best? That's a great question. 888-914-9149. Thank you so much. For that call, Jen, let's go now to line four, Beatrice in Santa Cruz, California. Hi, Beatrice. Hi, God, peace be with you. Thank you, and with your spirit. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'm a devout Catholic, mm-hmm. and um, 
my priest, who I love, uh, great sermons, um, but mm-hmm. he is offering Holy Communion to a known non-Catholic um, that, uh, I mean, this guy has no intention on becoming a Catholic, and he just is kind of posing um, oh. at Mass as a Catholic, and the priest just gives it to him, gives him uh, the Holy Communion, knowing he's not a Catholic, hasn't been confirmed, hasn't been uh, gone to confession. Um, I stopped being friends with this person after he admitted that he watches porn daily, or nightly, actually. And um, so um, I just want to know, <sighs> how is this possible? Or, you know, I, I mean, I'm finding myself um, feeling like, really indifferent to this priest and questioning Mm. about what is he, you know, thinking, um, what, what of this, what, what is this? What is this all right? I mean, it's not all right. No, Beatrice, I I just say, first of all, it's not all right. Um, he should not be giving the Eucharist to a non-Catholic because when when you give, when someone receives the Eucharist and we, when the, the priest holds the Eucharist before us and says the body of Christ and we respond, amen. Our amen is not just saying, oh yeah, I believe that it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. We're also saying, in effect, I believe everything that the Catholic Church teaches about faith and morality that's, it's really a double meaning to the word communion. It means, of course, our communion with Christ in the Eucharist. Um, he unites himself to us in the Eucharist. But it also the, the word communion also means common union. And in, uh, in the early 2nd century, mid-2nd century, St. Justin Martyr, when he wrote this famous um, apology, <laughs> it wasn't apologizing for the Catholic faith, but explaining and defending it to the emperor, he talked about this. He says, we do not let anyone, I'm kind of paraphrasing him here, but he says, we don't let anyone receive the Eucharist who does not believe that our teaching is true and they have to have been baptized first. So you essentially are saying the cafeteria is closed. I believe in all the teachings of the Catholic Church, not just that the Eucharist is Jesus, but everything about faith and morality. I buy the whole package. That's what you're really saying amen to. And if you don't, you shouldn't be receiving communion, bottom line. So if he knows that this guy, A, isn't Catholic and B, if he's living a life of unrepentant sin, as you alluded to earlier, that, that's a huge problem. And again, this is kind of a, this would be kind of a misguided compassion if he thinks, ah, I'm just going to try to draw him in. Maybe the Eucharist will, you know, work on him. No, that's not the way it's done. That's not the way it should be. And this is sacrilegious as, as, as a communion should not be happening. Uh, absolutely. And, um, I don't know whether the bishop is aware of this, but uh, it's something to look into maybe, Beatrice, and pray for him for sure. But thank you so much for calling in. we got to take a quick break right now, but we'll be right back. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, folks, it is not too late you want a really transformative Lent for you and your family, you can sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. Yep, they're back. Bite-sized glimpses into every prayer and word from the sign of the cross to the final blessing. And you can get these free video lessons every day of Lent. 
sent to your inbox from Ash Wednesday today all the way to Holy Saturday, sponsored in part by the National Center for Padre Pio. You can transform your 40 days of Lent with 40 lessons on the Mass. But don't forget, Father's also got his weekly Eucharistic Encounter videos. You can find all of it at relevantradio.com slash Lent and sign up today. Well, we're talking about the top 10 Bible verses on self-control, which we certainly need in Lent. And let's just do the last few really quickly. Number six, Psalm 141, verses three through five. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Again, this whole idea of controlling the tongue. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. Let me not eat of their delicacies. Yeah, we don't want to eat any delicacies during Lent, that's for sure. But uh, to hang out, the company you keep, and St. Paul talks about this as well in the New Testament, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. And he's quoting somebody else, he's not saying that himself, but nonetheless, it goes on to say this in in that uh, passage in Psalm 141, let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. I think that's really important, too. Um, In another place, it says that if you're rebuked by by a holy person, if you're sort of of the right character, and I'm paraphrasing here, you'll actually welcome it. Um, (laughs) My spiritual director, I I had a spiritual director once that was like really hard on me. And and he was he was like really demanding. And but I liked it. I I really liked it. I, I enjoyed the hard coaching, if you will, because. I needed it. So, so he, he kind of called me on the carpet and some of the excuses I was making for not fulfilling the obligations of my prayer life, that sort of thing. You know, he just kind of tell it like it is. And so, yeah, let it, let a righteous person rebuke me. It is oil for my head. That's really important. Next one. Number seven, James chapter one, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So true. So important. We, I mean, again, these passions that we have, it's part of bringing them under control and being quick to hear. That's so challenging for a lot of us. The, the skill of listening, a lot of people just don't have it. It's so important, especially when you're being attacked to hold your tongue and try to figure out what's because if, if you just jump right back at the person, you're just going to start a fight. But to kind of figure out why they're mad maybe is, is really important. It seems like you've got a reason for, you know, turning blue in the face or whatever. They, tell, tell me what that reason is, and that kind of stops them in their track. So listening is very important. And uh, restraining our speech. We, we don't want to uh, say words that we can never take back. The anger of mankind does not work the righteousness of God, as James says. All right, a couple more. Romans 8.13, this is number eight, top ten verses on self-control in the Bible. For if you live according to the sinful nature, sometimes it's translated as the flesh again, but it doesn't mean the body's bad. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This whole idea of, of... having the soul rule over the, the body. Um, the sin kind of ruptures that, and these appetites want to take control. But the fact that Paul says, you must put to death the misdeeds of the body, we have to be active about this. We can't be passive. We've got to make a plan. We've got to carry it out. 
Number nine, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So obviously Paul was a sports fan. He talks about running a race. He talks about boxing, if you will, and training and training. And he uses those metaphors. There was something in Corinth and Paul writing to the Corinthians. There was something called the Ismian Games. It was number two to the Olympics, but it's kind of like the junior Olympics. The Commonwealth Games would be probably the modern analog, if you've ever heard of those. All the same events, but it doesn't have quite the prestige of the Olympics. It doesn't matter. At any rate, here's what the victors got. They got a crown of withered celery. Wow. Okay. That is going to decompose. Talk about organics. Um, That's not what we need. We need this imperishable prize that God's going to give us in heaven. So this is what we're fighting for. And if if we are spiritual athletes, we'll, we'll make it happen. Okay, last one. Number 10. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So it's interesting. He sort of is talking about building like like one brick upon another. You're kind of building this spiritual edifice, if you will. Faith, and then it goes to virtue, and then it goes to knowledge, and then it goes to self-control, and steadfastness. And it doesn't always happen one right after the other. You're sometimes growing in these things at the same time. But... It starts with faith. It starts with trust. And at the end, love. That's the, that's the goal. It's love. And this is a total gift of self, uh, just as we see Jesus uh, doing so on the cross. So there's some verses for you, the top 10 verses on self-control, which we need so much of during Lent. How much time do I have, Jim? Okay, let's take a phone call. Rolando in Chicago. Rolando, welcome to the show. Thank you. My question is, I went to Mass today for Ash Wednesday. After mm-hmm. I left Mass, I went to the cemetery with some of the ashes from my forehead on my son's gravestone. Is that okay to do? Um, what, what were you thinking there? What, why, what made you want to do that? I don't know. I, I just felt like, like, you know, he, I just wanted to give it to him. That's all, because he mm-hmm. would always, he was a good Catholic. Yeah. Passed away from cancer several years ago, and I'm so sorry. I just, you know, I, I, I you know, it, it was. I thought I did it last year too, but I mean, mm-hmm. this time I figure I call call your show to see what you think is. Is it a good thing to do or? And, well, I think I, I think it I think it it just shows how much how much you loved your son and and how much you miss him and you wish he could could be there with you and and uh, he's he's on another part of the journey and uh, he's. Uh, beyond the curtain, as it were. And this is what Ash Wednesday reminds us of that. And, and I think that, you know, maybe in so doing, you know, not that you were thinking this 
um, while you're while you're doing this, but you want to, you want to get to where he is, and and let's let's pray for the repose of his soul, and and this is it's such a good reminder to not only receive these ashes, but to pray at the gravestones of our loved ones who have passed away, and understand that this is our this is our destiny, but it's not the end. It, we, there is life after life after death. There's heaven, and there's a resurrection on the last day. And that's what we're looking forward to. Thanks for joining me on Relevant Radio. Tim Reeves up next. going to talk about the real St. Valentine. Jim Shaper produced the K.L. Clark Show. Miranda Sinaceros took your phone calls. God bless you. Thanks, everybody, for calling in. See you tomorrow. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my dad.